Good morning, church. I am so glad you made it through the snow and this freezing weather. I can't believe you guys are here. I thought of canceling service because it's just freezing out there, isn't it? I think it was about two months ago. We're at Fight Club on Thursday night. We're all hanging out. And I look up and this friend of mine that I hadn't seen for years since high school approaches me. And he says, hey, man, what are you doing here? And I said, what are you doing here? Well, so-and-so invited me, and I was just so glad to see him. And then he says, what about you? Really, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm a pastor here. And he starts laughing his head off like, ah, ah. about 20 minutes. The guy wouldn't stop laughing. And I said, no, seriously, I'm the pastor here. And after he had a quick heart attack, he said, man, I'm glad to see you. I really am glad to see you. He said, we just moved into the neighborhood, my wife and I, and I haven't been to church since, man, since high school. And now you're here. You're the pastor here. He says, it's got to be a sign. I'm coming this Sunday. I said, I'm so glad. And here are the service times I said. I took his number. He took mine. We're real excited. This was Thursday night, Fight Club. Saturday, towards the evening, I texted him. I said, hey, don't forget. 10 a.m., 11.30, and 1, and he gives me a thumbs up. I tell my wife, we're super excited. Come Sunday morning, we're here. First service, I'm looking for him. Nothing. Second service, uh, nada. Third service, he didn't show up. Man. Okay. Next week, I texted him again, and I said, hey, I missed you. I hope you guys could make it. Tomorrow, same services. Crickets. Not a thumbs up, nothing. Great. That Sunday comes, again, he doesn't show up. About three weeks after that, maybe a month, I ran into him at the gym, and he comes up to me and says, Eddie, I'm sorry I missed that Sunday, but we're going to go for sure this Sunday, and here you are at the gym. I run into you again. It's got to be a sign. I said, dude, how many signs do you want? Yes. <laughs> it's a sign. I'll be there this Sunday. I'm super excited. Well, that Sunday comes and nothing. No show. It's been about two months, church. About two months. Well, today, today he's here. Will you guys help me welcome my friend? I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, wow, this is the best sermon ever. He hasn't shown up. He's not here. Not yet, at least. And I mentioned this story to you guys because I believe some of you, but not all of you, have experienced what I've experienced. You've invited people to come to church, and yet they're not here yet. Yet. Maybe some of you have invited people to come to church. They have shown up. They love it. To them, it's amazing. But then something happens in their lives, and they run away from church. Maybe some of you have invited people to come to church. They do come. They come for a while. They get super excited. But then after a while, because they're so busy, they don't make church a priority anymore. And you see them once in a while. You say, hey, we miss you at church. Oh, I'll be there. But they're here, and then they're not here, and then they're here, and then they're not here. But then maybe some of you guys have invited others to come to church. They've connected. And the Holy Spirit has changed their lives. And you see this huge transformation in their lives. Have you guys ever wondered why, why that is? Why do some people respond differently to the same invitation? 
Why is it that when you talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, how some people receive the gospel and some just deny it? Ever wondered why? Well, the answer, church, it's their heart. It's a condition of their hearts. Today we continue our series in the gospel according to Mark. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up. If you have your journals with you, please open them up as well so you can take notes. We're beginning in chapter 4 of Mark, beginning in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 20. Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Before we begin, let me just catch us up to what we saw last week. Now last week, last week we saw that Jesus was preaching a house in Capernaum and it's really really packed so packed that people couldn't get to him and then we read that his family Jesus's family hears about what he's preaching what he's teaching they're up in Jerusalem and they come down to try to seize him to try to take control of him why because they think he's gone crazy some sort of religious freak and then we see that Jesus heals this man from an unclean spirit. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of being demonic in alliance with Satan. And Jesus warns the Pharisees. He says, hey, be careful, guys. You're about to commit the unforgivable sin. Watch out. And then we read that his family finally gets there. And they can't get to Jesus, so they pass word down that his family is there. And then Jesus asks his rhetorical question. He says, who are my family? Who is my brother? Who is my mother? And then Jesus answers that question. He says this, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And here's where we're going to pick up today's verses. Chapter 4, verse 1, gospel according to Mark. It says this. Again, Jesus began to teach besides the sea. And it says, a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea and land. So he begins to preach again the gospel. Remember, that's why Jesus came, to proclaim the gospel, to say that the kingdom of God was at hand. And he's got this huge crowd in front of him. He gets into a boat, not for safety reasons, but he gets into this boat so that people could hear him. He's using the boat as a pulpit. Verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, now watch, Mark says this, he was teaching to them in parables, plural with an S. This chapter, chapter 4 of Mark, all the way to verse 34, Jesus is going to be teaching parables. We're going to see a parable today. We're going to see a parable or several parables next week. So right here, uh, Mark says parables because he's introducing the section that we're about to read. What is a parable? A parable, in short, is really a, a short narrative with a symbolic meaning. The word parable in Greek is parabole. Para means alongside, and bole means to throw out. So parable is a word which means something that is placed along something else for the purpose of clarification. Now parables, really quick. Parables was a method used to teach by Jewish rabbis. And they would teach parables to, to reveal the Mosaic law. 
Jesus teaches parables a little differently. Jesus teaches parables so people can start realizing what has not been revealed. Jesus is the only one that teaches in parables in the New Testament. 60 parables to be exact. Now, he's going to begin this parable. It's, a, it's about a sower who goes out and throws seed on the ground. I think most of us are familiar with this parable. It says this in verse 3. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. He begins by saying, listen, Jesus says, pay attention. This is important, he says. What I'm about to say is really important. Take note. And he says, a sower went out to sow. Now, in those days, a, a farmer would go out and he'd wear a kind of like a bag on his waist full of seed. And the farmer would just go out and just seed all over the ground, as much soil as he could cover. That was the farmer's purpose when we went out to sow. And now what Jesus is going to do, he's going to mention four different types of soil. And these four different types of soil, as we're about to see, are going to produce four different types of outcomes. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it, it says. This first type of soil is known as the roadside soil, the soil that fell along the path. Now, these paths were made so they could separate fields, and people would walk on these paths. And the, and the soil was so compressed that it was really, really hard. It was like concrete and this was the path. And the outcome of the seed that fell on this path was that the seed never had a chance. Why? Because as we just read, the birds would come, pick it up, and devour the seed. He goes on, verse 5. It says, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. The second type of soil, the rocky soil. And on this soil, the soil was so narrow, it didn't have any depth, that when the seed landed on this soil, it was good at first. It looked like it was going to produce some sort of crop. But because it had no moisture and there was no depth in the soil, it never was able to get roots down into the soil. As a matter of fact, right beneath the layer of soil was limestone, hard rock. And so the outcome of this was that as soon as it started to produce some sort of crop, the sun would burn it. He goes on and he mentions the thorny soil, the third type of soil. Verse 7. It says, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So the seed that fell on this soil was full of thorns. And because it was full of thorns, the seed was never able to mature. As soon as it started growing, the thorns choked its branches. And thus, the outcome of that was it was non-productive. But lastly... Lastly, we have the fertile soil, the good soil, the productive soil. Verse 8, it says, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
This was great soil, prepared soil. But notice the outcome. There was an abundance of crop. It says it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. In those days, that would have been crazy. See, tenfold was a good harvest, was a profitable harvest. But having 60-fold, 100-fold would be considered a huge blessing by God himself. Before we continue with the verses, I want to make two observations of what we read so far in this parable. First of all, notice that nothing is mentioned about the sower. We don't know who he is. We don't know what kind of skill he has. We don't even know his name. The second observation is nothing is mentioned about the seed. We don't know its quality. We don't know its type. But we do know that it's the same seed. And notice, same sower, same seed. The only thing that changes in this parable is the soil. The condition of the soil. See, church, the soil is what determines the outcome. The soil determines the outcome. Everything is dependent on the state of the soil. Not the sower. Not the seed. It's all about the soil. Jesus is now going to end this parable. And he says this, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Notice he ends his parable in the same manner in which he began his parable. He summons everybody to pay attention. Remember in the beginning he says, listen, listen. And now he's saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he mean by that? He who has ears, let him hear. Here. He doesn't literally mean those people that have orejas, physically ears. That's not what he means. What he's trying to say is this. That some people who really want to understand and embrace the truth about a parable will embrace it by faith. Some church, as we're about to see, will get it, will understand it, will embrace it and live it. But some just won't. Many just hear words, words that never pierce their hearts. Never transforms them from the inside out. Verse 10. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. So apparently some time has passed by. Now he's alone with his disciples, with his apostles. And they asked Jesus really this question. Jesus, why parables? Why are you teaching in parables? So he answers them and says this in verse 11. To you, he says, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside everything, he says, everything is in parables. What Jesus was telling them was the parables have two understandings. First of all, there's a, a, a physical understanding, and then there's a spiritual understanding. And everyone is going to receive the physical understanding, but not everyone is going to receive the spiritual understanding, the truth. So Jesus says, to you, 
referring to his apostles, his disciples, those that were there with him. To you, he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been revealed. But to others, it just won't. You have that spiritual understanding. But for those outside, for the Pharisees, for the ones that don't believe, for the scribes, for those religious leaders, everything is in parables. To them, they'll just have a physical understanding. They have ears, but they do not hear. They won't understand. Why? He says this in verse 12. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Right here, Jesus is quoting Isaiah. And what he is saying is those that do not believe the parables that I'm teaching and about to teach will only further conceal the truth from them. See, the parable would do two things, church. The parable would either reveal the truth to some, but the parable would also conceal the truth to others. Lest, he says, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Unless those people repent and ask for forgiveness, unless they do that, the parables will only conceal the truth from their hearts. Verse 13, and Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then, he says, will you understand all the parables? Jesus is gently rebuking them and says, look guys, if you don't get this parable, the, the cornerstone of the parables that I'm about to teach, how are you going to get the other parables? So Jesus goes on to explain the parable to them. But I want to make two more observations before we begin so you can get a better understanding of the explanation of the parables. Notice, we saw two types of soil, two only, productive soil and an unproductive soil. But there were four categories. Three of them were unproductive. One of them was. Now the seed, as we're about to see, is God's word. The sower is anyone who goes out there and, and, and sows God's word, an evangelist, anyone who proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And the soil is a condition of the person's heart. So now, in this explanation, we're going to see four different soils because it's representing four different hearts. And as we're about to see, the heart determines the outcome. Everything is dependent on the heart. Verse 14, it says this, the sower sows the word. So there it is. God's word is out. The sower's gone out and starts to sow the word. Four different soils, which means four different conditions of the heart. It's out there. What I want you guys to do for the remaining of the sermon is as I'm about to read the explanation of the soils, of the hearts, I want you guys 
to see where you are at. Choose your soil. Choose your heart. Where you are at at this moment when it comes to relationship with Jesus Christ. Do an honest heart check is what I'm asking. So let's begin. First, the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Verse 15. Jesus says this. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These are the people. These are the hearts that reject the gospel. They don't want anything to do with who Jesus is. It never penetrates the hearts. And so they hear the word. But because their heart is so hardened, the enemy comes and takes it away immediately. How does he do that? How does the enemy take away the seed from a hardened heart? He uses deception. He is the father of all lies, John 8, 44. He confuses people through false teachings, through religions. Matthew 7 and 15, Jesus says there are wolf in sheep, in sheep clothing. The devil knows that some people just love darkness, love living in their sins, never want to be exposed to the light. John 3, 19. Sadly, church, there are people, maybe even people sitting here today, that will just be living an unbelief. Some hearts may never change. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Next, the shallow heart. The shallow heart. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately, it says again, receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now notice, Jesus says that these are people who receive the word with joy. They're excited at first. They're super happy. They love everything they're hearing. But it's more of an emotion. It's not really a devotion. They're plugged in, but then something happens in their lives, some sort of tribulation. They say, wait a second. I didn't know being a disciple of Jesus Christ was going to be heartaches. Some people, when God doesn't answer their prayers the way they want their prayers to be answered, will run away from God. No way. This is not for me. When they discover the hardships of being a true disciple, they bail. When the going gets tough, these are the people that get going. Why? Because they have no root in themselves. They don't bear fruit because there was no root. That's what Jesus was saying. Superficial. Never really penetrated their hearts. Next, the worldly heart. The worldly heart. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for others, other things enter in and choke the word, and it produces 
It proves unfruitful. This third type of soil represents the heart that is preoccupied with worldly matters. This is the heart that cares more for the world than it does for the word. This is the heart that, is, that God is competing with. This is the heart that loves the God of money and the God of comfort. This is the type of heart that Jesus is describing here. They receive God's word, but it's choked up by the cares, by the pleasures and the riches of life. Nothing is more important to this heart than to be, as an example, successful in anything they do. And Jesus says clearly in Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. Can't. Impossible. And he also says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This, like I mentioned, is a heart that puts so many things before God. This is the type of heart that rather go, rather to go fishing or camping or whatever it is, rather than come to church. This is the type of heart when a person looks at their calendar and says, do we have any events? Oh, we have a basketball tournament. We have football for the kids. Oh, you know what? I'd rather go here, here. This is the type of heart that if there's nothing on the calendar on Sunday, then they will come to church. This is the type of heart that maybe shows up once to church. And every other time, they're somewhere else because of comfort, because of luxury, because of pleasure. This is the type of heart that prefers not to be in community. Because they're so busy with work that they don't have, quote unquote, time to be in a small group. This is the type of heart that says, I don't need to serve. I'm here to be served. Because it's all about me, 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 the comfort of the world. This is a type of heart that can spend hours watching TV, hours playing games, but never ever open up their Bibles. This is a type of heart that always wants more and more and more and is never satisfied. Watch. Jesus says that the word does not die in them. It's not taken away from them. It's just producing no fruit, zero fruit, because of the cares of the world, because they don't put the time and effort to further his kingdom. They're unfruitful. But then there's a fruitful heart. Now, the fruitful heart as Jesus is about to say, is a type of heart we all should desire after. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. They accept it. This word accept in Greek is paradechme, which means to believe something to be true, but not only to believe it, to respond to it, to respond according to what they heard, to the truth. This is the heart that produces the fruit of the Spirit, who then in turn eagerly becomes the sower, the sower of the Word. This is the heart that the Holy Spirit transforms from the inside out. I want to emphasize the point that I like to flesh out of this parable. The sermon point, if you will. This is it. I sow the word, 
God controls how it's heard. Our responsibility, church, is to go out and sow. We're not responsible for the yield. We're just responsible to go out and sow the seed, his word. You and I will never save anybody. Can't. The Holy Spirit is the only one that does and can. We just need to go out and invite and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. If this is you, church, keep on inviting. They'll come. Let God work in their hearts. Just keep on sowing. Don't give up. I love what Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I will still keep on inviting my friend, and God willing, one day he will sit where you are sitting. Not up to me. God changes the heart. So I asked you. I asked you a little while ago to choose your heart. Do you have one in mind? As I was going through the parable, the conditions of the heart, did one just convict you? Did one just stand out and say, ouch? Are you a productive Christian? The fruitful heart. Is this you? Are you a fruitful person? If this is you, keep on maturing. Keep on being fruitful. Stay planted where you're at. Let your roots keep penetrating. Keep doing what you're doing and even more if you can. Or are you the preoccupied Christian? The worldly heart. That you're too involved in everything else. That you don't make time to come to church. You don't make time to spend in God's word. You'd rather be comfortable than be convicted. You love power, position, privilege. And these things, church, if you're here, these things are keeping you from having the relationship that Jesus Christ really wants to have with you. So if this is you, God is ready. God is ready to hear your prayer. Come to him. Ask God to change your heart. To take away the seed that, that your heart is at now and to put it elsewhere in the fruitful soil. He's ready. You just need to come to him. Or are you the, the shallow seeker, the shallow heart? Are you just the here but never the door? You're just coming to church every Sunday, going through the motions, and nothing has penetrated in your heart. Or maybe, maybe you're the hardened heart, one that will never understand that you prefer darkness over light, that you enjoy living in your sinfulness. Listen, if these last two hearts I described, if these are you, I urge you to fall on your knees and repent. I urge you to come to Christ and ask him to forgive you. 
I urge you to ask God to give you a new heart, to take away that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Trust me, church. Trust me when I say this. When you die, you don't, don't want to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. It is urgent that you get to know him. That you understand in your heart the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did for you and for me. That you believe in your heart that he died and he rose again and that was sufficient for the penalty of your sins. You need to repent and change your shallow or your hardened heart into that fruitful heart. Also church, listen. The end of your life you are not going to hear well done my successful and wealthy servant you're not going to hear that you're not going to hear well done my selfish and oh you're so comfortable servant you're not going to hear that you're not going to hear well done i'm so glad you were so busy with your children and everything else but me well done you are not going to hear that what i pray is that all of us long to hear the words well done good and faithful servant so that all of us that all of us should have that posture in our hearts that we can produce 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold where are you today let's pray father god we love you we praise you check our hearts Holy Spirit, will you convict us that we really make a heart check to see where we're at, but not stay where we're at. We want to move forward to getting closer to you, Father. Father, you have called us to serve, to be your servants, to be your faithful servants. So if our hearts are not there, again, change them. We want to be a church that is truly following after you, living out your words and sharing your words. Let us be that sower that goes out and sows to whomever. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we say all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. God bless you guys.